0: A few years ago at the Spur Leadership Conference that we host as a church, we had the amazing opportunity to hear from General Tommy Franks. Now general Franks retired from the United States Army, a four star general. He had led combat in Vietnam, Iraq, and then oversaw the entire preparation for the invasion of Afghanistan after Al-Qaeda attacked our nation on 9-11. He's been through it. And it was a fascinating moment when General Franks came to the stage. He wasn't in his dress uniform anymore, he was just in a suit and tie. We had offered to fly him and his wife down from Oklahoma where they live and he said, we'll just drive. He showed up in a pickup truck, came and spoke. General Franks, just before he came to the stage and I was about to introduce him, I was backstage with him. He reached into his suit pocket, pulled out a can of Copenhagen snuff, and put a dip in. In the next hour and 15 minutes that he spoke and took questions and answers, he never spit once. (laughs) These are the men I want leading our military. A few weeks after the conference, I sent him an email and asked if I could interview him for Spur leadership. He agreed. We met in Dallas. In his retirement, General Franks only agreed to serve on one board of directors. He was friends and a distant neighbor of the chairman of Chuck E. Cheese Pizza, And because his grandkids love Chuck E. Cheese, he agreed to serve on that board of directors. And so he was in Dallas for a board meeting. I drove up there. We recorded the interview. It was an amazing, amazing conversation. The night before, I was preparing my list of questions to ask General Franks. And I asked Julie, as we were kind of winding down for the day, I said, what do you think I ought to ask him about? Julie thought for a moment, and then in one of the wisest statements I've ever heard from her, for which she is kind of known. She said, why don't you ask him about betrayal? I thought, that's really interesting. Here's a guy who comes from a completely different universe than you and me, most of us, unless you've served. And so we got all the way through the end of the conversation on videotape, and I came to the last question. I said, General Franks, I'm sure in your career that spans so many decades... You personally experience betrayal at some level. And I will never forget his response. His eyes lit up. He raised his eyebrows and he went, oh, oh, oh yes. Now, I'm not going to tell you where the conversation went from there because it's in the book. But, <laughs> but, I was so struck by the chord of recognition, that that question rang in General Frank's memory. And in the rest of the conversation, God spoke to me in such a powerful way about the subject of betrayal through a retired Army general. It was an amazing, amazing moment. Now, I want to ask you a question. How many of you in this room have ever been betrayed. Let me just see a show of hands if you've ever been betrayed. Go ahead and keep your hands up for just a second. Now I want you to look around. With your hand in the air, look around the room. It is universal. It is a part of the human condition to experience betrayal. And as we talk about the trust protocol, I think It's impossible for us to get our arms around trust without first understanding and then being able to move beyond betrayal because betrayal comes in a lot of different sizes and shapes, doesn't it? A betrayal may be something as minor as a disappointment. You told me you'd be home by seven. Here it is, 705. And that that can be... Now, over time, those kind of betrayals can mount up. Am I right or am I right? But betrayal can also be as major as a devastation. It it can be a deeply, deeply wounding event that, that destroys a home, blows up a business arrangement. But no matter where betrayal happens on that spectrum in our lives, we have to understand that we are not alone. We're not alone and we're not crazy that this can bog us down. That that we can get wrapped around the axle of betrayal and get hung up on a relationship that maybe has gone away, but also is actually corroding those relationships that remain. And so today... What I want to share with you is an expansion on what's in the book, The Trust Protocol, because this is kind of friends and family. The book releases this coming Tuesday, but because of the church, we're kind of diving in a little bit early. And I think it's so important that we understand how the gospel, the good news of Jesus, speaks into every single nook and cranny of our lives, even those crevices created by betrayal, that the gospel has something so powerful to say into our lives. Now, when we think about betrayal, the fact of the matter is that it really comes down to dishonesty. It comes down to somebody breaking their word with us. Now, the fact of the matter is, too, that all of us are capable of betrayal, That's something that's kind of in us because we're spiritual descendants of Adam and Eve. We're all capable of telling a lie, cutting an ethical corner, or just being downright deceitful. There's nobody that's above that or beyond that. How many of you are parents? Let me just see a show of hands if you're a mom or a dad. Do you remember what it was like the first time your your child told you a, a deception? They told you a lie? Maybe a little white lie? And Or maybe it was just an out-and-out lie that they thought they were smart enough to get away with. You know, as a parent, there's a part of us that's kind of like, I feed you. How how could you? We had such a beautiful thing going on. And and, and it's usually very, very minor. I remember the first lie that I remember telling as a child. My mom and dad had given me a, a picture book Kids' Bible, storybook Bible. And I still can picture this Bible in my mind. And, and I was about four years old or so. And I discovered the joy of magic markers. How many of you know the joy of magic markers? And as a child, you're just like, Whoa. You know, you hold it like this, you just go to town in that storybook Bible. I was like, I am Picasso. And just, I, I marked all through this Bible. And I'll never forget the feeling when my mom confronted me with my destruction. And my mom, my mom's an incredible, incredible woman, very strong personality. She's not a big girl. She's not about 5'3", maybe, maybe 105 pounds, dripping wet, holding a brick. But she plays a lot taller than she is. And I remember her coming to me with that Bible and opening it up to the center that I had just marked so hard in and, and she said, Mac, how did this happen? I'm four years old. I have twin brothers that are a year and a half old. And I just immediately, without even thinking, said, I guess Pat and Gill did that. <laughs> My mom said, um, Mac, they can't hold a pin. And, and you know, at that point I was just cold busted. There's nowhere to run and nowhere to hide. But that kind of dishonesty is just in us. It requires a transformation in a relationship with Jesus Christ for us to even be aware that that's there, that it's innate. But then it requires the Holy Spirit to combat that drive. Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, It's recorded for us in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6. And there in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said something very, very direct to his audience. This congregation there gathered on the hillside. Matthew 5, 37, he said, All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Older translations will say, Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Be a person of your word, anything other than this comes from the evil one, because we know that God is life. We know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So if it's a deception, if it's a dishonesty, or even just a little shading of the truth, a dishonesty, that's from the evil one. This comes from Satan. Now, elsewhere in the Book of John, Jesus kind of gives us a, a biographical sketch or a psychological sketch of the evil one, of Satan. Look in your Bibles in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, and he's, he's kind of rebuking them and coming at them heavy and hard. But look at what he says about the evil one in John eight forty four. He says, He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. This is who Satan is. This is our opponent, the evil one, and he is real. Don't think horns and a tail and a pitchfork. Think an enemy. Satan originally was one of God's most glorious angels. He led worship in heaven. His name at the time was the father of lights, Lucifer. And he led worship. And then Satan did... Something that was really silly. He decided to orchestrate a cosmic coup against God. He decided he wanted to be God. And he belonged on the throne of heaven. And so he gathered all of his minions to orchestrate this coup against God and a rebellion in heaven. And he lost. And God banished him and all of his minions from heaven. This is what the Bible teaches about our enemy. It's important that we know this. It's not a cartoon, it's not a myth. Our enemy is real, but our ally is stronger. And God has told us what we're up against in this world. I loved what John said earlier when he was leading worship. Jesus never promises it's gonna get easier. He promises to be with us. That's what he promises. He promises we will never go through anything alone. But the father of lies is a liar. And so, this deception, when it enters our life, particularly through another person and betrayal, it is so devastating. It can be so wounding. But the gospel and the good news of Jesus says that there is a better way. There is a path through and beyond betrayal. I want you to look in your Bibles in the book of 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians. Go ahead and look it up on your phone. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can pull out your phone, take that out. But in 2 Thessalonians, the Bible explains how the gospel propels us beyond betrayal. How do we move beyond it? Because let's be honest, it can be really, really difficult to get beyond betrayal. It it can be really, really hard to to forgive and move forward. But I want you to look at what the Bible says. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 1. This is an incredible, incredible word of hope and encouragement. Paul is writing to this fledgling congregation there in Thessalonica, and he says, Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith. we're, We're telling people, your rep is getting out. We boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. Verse 5, check this out. Now, all of this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. Time out. That is a staggering statement of doctrine that according to God, who, by the way, God is God. You might want to write that down. It's really profound. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so if God says you are worthy because of Christ, then you are worthy. You are worthy of the sacrifice of Christ. You are worthy of the love of Christ. You are worthy of the grace of Christ. You are worthy of the forgiveness of Christ in Christ. Now, that is a major, major point. Tell your neighbor like you mean it, with passion and enthusiasm, get your worthy on. That's a big, big deal. I'm gonna come back to that in just a moment, but, but real quickly, I wanna read verse six because it, it's also critical. Verse six says, God is just that his judgment is right, he will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. Now, I have to be totally candid with you. There are times in my life when I really, really want God to pay back trouble to those who have troubled me. Am I alone in that? Am I the only one? If you read the book of Psalms, Over and over again, David says, Lord, visit your judgment upon my enemies. May they know death in the dust. You're like, whoa. But the gospel shifts that. The gospel, the New Testament, the good news of Jesus, helps us to remember that that God's judgment is God's business. That's not my shot to call. That's not your shot to call. We don't get to rain down the grapes of wrath on people's head. That's that's up to God and his judgment, which is always perfect and perfectly timed. God's judgment is always right. It is always rightly timed. But I want to go back to this idea that we are worthy. Because I've been betrayed. Remember we established at the beginning that betrayal is just a universal experience of the human condition. And at times, I've had trouble kind of getting past that. I'm, my personality is such that I'm kind of a, you know, I'm, I'm fairly passionate, which can be great. It's got some gifts, to be sure. But one of the downsides of it is, too, if, if I get wronged or if I get crossed or I perceive that I've been wronged, <laughs> I want to take a piece out of somebody. And, and that's not that's not. Right, I'm just telling you that natural drive that I have to combat with the power of the Holy Spirit. That's in me. But it was this idea of worthiness that was so profound to me in moving beyond betrayal. And worthiness is the perfect counterbalance to the cancer of entitlement. Entitlement. Now, you may be thinking, well, you know, we've all seen the, the surveys and the studies done on millennials and entitlement. And Let me tell you something. I love millennials. They've got challenges just like I had growing up. I mean, we've all got them. But I believe so strongly in this next generation. I think the millennials are absolutely the ones that God has placed in this world to carry his work forward into the next generation. We ought to celebrate them and lift them up and hold them accountable and build them into everything God wants them to be. And not just be trashing them all the time. Some of them have jobs. It's a great thing. (laughs) But... None of us, not you, not me, none of God's children are above entitlement. Now, I want you to think about entitlement versus worthiness. This is going somewhere, I promise you. Entitlement says things like, I deserve, dot, dot, dot. You owe me, dot, dot, dot. Entitlement also says, I didn't deserve the way you treated me. The way you were late to dinner again—that's entitlement. As opposed to worthiness, where entitlement says, "I deserve," worthiness says, "I love you." Where entitlement says, "You owe me," worthiness says, "Thank you." Where entitlement says. I didn't deserve that, worthiness says, I'm moving on. There's a massive difference between entitlement and worthiness. Think about entitlement. Let's say that you've thought to yourself like I've thought to myself, I didn't deserve that. Or, man, I deserve better. Let's just say that you get what you want under the heading of entitlement. If you feel entitled to something, if you feel like you're owed something and you get it, that just elicits a great big, so what? Like, well, hey, you owed that to me. I deserve that. You gave it to me, but I don't care. So what? And if you get what you wanted under the heading of entitlement, under that in that posture of entitlement, then there is a very real detachment from the person or the people who gave it to you. There's no connection that happens if you have any entitlement in your life. Now, watch what happens if you don't get it. Uh-oh. Anybody ever been frustrated at your birthday or on Christmas morning? If you don't get it and you're operating from a position of entitlement, you may give in to rage. Just that kind of deep seated anger that burns deep. Now, let me say this rage doesn't have to be loud, you can be rage filled and very, very quiet, but you hang on and you let that slow burn just continue to burn in rage. You can also give in to resentment. If you don't get something that you feel that you're owed, then you resent that person for not getting it to you. You owed that to me and you didn't deliver. Come here. That's That's that resentment that we hang on to a lot of times. And can we be totally candid with each other? Sometimes resentment's fun, isn't it? Sometimes we kind of like to hang on to that resentment. Resentment can then degenerate into contempt. Contempt. We feel contemptuous of the people who don't give us what we feel like they owe us. And we start to look down on them, and they're, they're bad people. Boo contempt but then the most poisonous cancer of all is unforgiveness unforgiveness we we hold on we are not going to forgive that person who did what we didn't deserve or didn't do what we felt like was owed to us because they don't deserve my forgiveness my forgiveness is so special My forgiveness is so all-encompassing, I'm going to hold on to it. And we forget that forgiveness is a gift we give ourselves. Forgiveness is the gift that we give to ourselves when we refuse to let the cancer of resentment and contempt metastasize, not only in our lives, but into the other relationships we have. But now watch what happens with worthiness. Worthiness is a game changer. When you understand your worthiness in Christ, the role that the gospel plays, and you do get what you feel like and what you've learned you're worthy of according to God, you get this massive thank you as opposed to so what. And gratitude is a much healthier attitude to live in then so what? Hey, have you ever seen a, a child who, who receives a gift and it's kind of like, I eh, already got that. There, there's something that you just kind of like, ooh, that's probably not a long-term solution for life success for that little angel. <laughs> but, but we can all feel that. But when you understand that you're worthy of these things that God says you're worthy of and you get it, even if you get it, you, you're like, wow, thank you. Also, when you get what you're worthy of according to Christ, there's this massive connection that happens between you and the person who gives it to you. you. You feel deeply connected to them. My birthday was a few weeks ago, and a close friend of mine who lives out of town sent me this incredible gift box. I had, we don't even exchange gifts, I thought. He sent it to me in the mail. It's got my initials, my monogram on it, and it's got all this stuff inside that he knew that I would love, and I opened, I was like, whoa, in a godly, biblical way, dude loves me. This is awesome. And so we're connected by that. I didn't deserve that. I may have been worthy of it according to Christ, but man, there's this connection. I called him up. I was like, bro, what are you doing, man? That was incredible. He's like, man, Mac, I love you, man. I just thought I knew it was your birthday, and I'm sorry it was late. I was like, well, whatever. Next year you can make up for it. But. <laughs> There's this connection that happens relationally. Now, if you don't get what you're worthy of, watch what happens. This is, uh, this is incredible. And by the way, I am mean, meant to say this. I didn't make this stuff up. I was taught this, okay? And it's, it's kind of in a nutshell. It's in the book, and, I, and I, it's not me. So don't think, man, I, just, I needed to say that so I don't get sued for, you know. What's that called, plagiarism? Yeah, that's bad. <laughs> now, if you don't get something that you're worthy of, there may be, not rage, but you may be angry. There may be anger. Sometimes anger's appropriate. Like, hey, you said you'd be home at seven. We've got to go. I love you. I'm not going anywhere, but you are chapping my hide. That, that's anger. Sometimes that anger is appropriate. The Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. Doesn't say don't get angry. Jesus got angry, but it wasn't because he was assuming any entitlement. If you don't get it, instead of resentment, there's hurt. You, you can be hurt. Sometimes, if somebody doesn't give you, what, you are enti- what you're worthy of, according to Christ, you can be hurt. I thought we had something going on here. There's that hurt. Contempt. Contempt just becomes sadness at the loss of relationship, at the brokenness of a relationship. The fact that the relationship is ruptured, it may be reparable or it may not be. But either way, there's, there's a very real sadness. And in, when you don't get what you're worthy of, you understand Forgiveness. You understand, I I was worthy of more than that. I didn't get it, but I'm going to forgive them. I've blown it. I've dropped the ball. And so I forgive them. I'm not going to hang on to that resentment, that contempt. I'm going to forgive and I'm going to move on. I want you to notice the difference between entitlement and worthiness. Entitlement. Entitlement comes from Satan. Satan. Satan felt entitled to the throne of God. He felt like he was owed more credit than he was getting as the worship leader in heaven. And so he betrayed God. Worthiness, there has never been anyone more worthy than Jesus he is worthy of all praise. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords, the Alpha and the Omega, and yet not one time. Read the Gospels, John through, I'm sorry, Matthew through John. Not one time does Jesus assume an air of entitlement. Not one time. He never sinned, and he's on the cross, nailed there by sinners, placed there by sinners. And all he says is, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That blows my mind. It blows my mind. Forgive them for they know not what they do. When you've been betrayed, you're walking in the footsteps of Jesus. Betrayed by us. We were created by him to bear his image. And yet, this innate thing inside of us called sin betrays our calling, our creation, our creator. He was betrayed by Judas Iscariot. Interestingly, the, the one who, who kept the money for Jesus' ministry. He was betrayed. By Peter, Peter denied him three times. Three times he said, cursing as he did. I've never known this man. Peter's fisherman past came out at a critical moment. But how we handle that betrayal determines whether or not we continue to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Jesus to understand that it's real, to understand that it happens, but it's part of the human condition. And therefore, the gospel of Jesus Christ informs how we move beyond betrayal. Some of you in this room are younger and you've been disappointed. You've certainly been hurt, but maybe you haven't experienced a deep betrayal. I want to encourage you to file this away. Just... Hang on to this. I I don't want to discourage you and tell you, oh, it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is bigger than any betrayal we will ever experience. The gospel of Jesus Christ heals every hurt and soothes every wound. I want to ask you if you'll bow your heads for just a moment. And in this moment, if you're here today and you've never stepped into a relationship with Jesus, then I want to ask you just to consider that right now, just to pray right where you're sitting, a prayer of beginning, a prayer of healing the relationship with God that you were created for. You don't have to pass a test. You get to just begin And because it's a relationship, it requires communication. That's what prayer is. God initiated the communication when when he gave us Christ. And he affirms that communication through Scripture, but this may be your moment to respond for the first time to the amazing grace of Jesus just to pray right where you're sitting, something like this, just silently talk to him and say, Jesus, I need you. I know that in my sin, I've betrayed you. But right here and right now, I claim your forgiveness. I accept it. Not because I deserve it or because I'm entitled to it, but because in you, you've said I'm worthy. And so I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that you rose again. And I will follow you in your footsteps from this moment forward. I wanna ask you just to remain with your heads bowed for another moment. Because this is a sacred moment. If that was your prayer and you meant it, I want to invite you into the family of faith. We want to help as a church any way that we can at whatever pace works for you. And the best way to do that is to use that Connect card that's in your program. Fill it out. And before you leave, just hand it to one of our ushers or hosts or maybe somebody who's underneath the blue canopy underneath the big front porch out here. But that's just the first step in growing in this relationship, connecting into the family of faith. Second, I want to ask you in this moment, as our heads are bowed, if you just prayed that, would you raise your hand? Would you just raise your hand and hold it up high for a moment? Stamping this moment in your life, but also in the life of this church, this family of faith. All we are is a hospital full of sinners. And so we celebrate that and honor that in your life. As you put your hands down, we put our hands together. Just to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.